Hello there, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. What I'm sharing with you is not just something to believe in. It is the truth. It is the reason for which all things exist and consist for you, the reason why you are alive. Your life is not based on the things that people tell you that are often lies. A mastery of deception, one example, is the theory of evolution. So for those of you that are new, I want to introduce you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find there is a flip book which answers the hardest questions and has many unique answers. This is original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. Showing the mastery of deception there is, such as in the theory of evolution and many other areas, archaeology and so on. So you can read that flip book and you'll find that there is lots of print that is highlighted in red there. Those are actually links to YouTube videos which have profound and amazing information which the vast majority of the public is not aware of that expose this mastery of deception and confirm that there is ultimate meaning and reality for your lives. So check that out at ultimatemeaning.com. You will also see that there are videos there by myself which go into this and explain this. None of these messages there also are prepared with notes or anything. I'm just speaking from my heart and presenting ultimate meaning and purpose to you that is based objectively on solid evidence and is highly confirmed by the subjective experience of many and many transformed lives from throughout the world, from various backgrounds, from the most wicked criminal that has been converted to whoever is the most noble and all in between. This message is for those in these videos that I am doing here that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. This is not just intellectual assent. This is knowing by experience this ultimate source of reality. I will again emphasize that if you are totally new, that the message that is for people from any background, no matter what background they are, that message is found there on my video, which is the main video that comes up as the most, most prominent one uh, out of the video gallery. It's just a little ways down at ultimatemeaning.com. So for those that have come to know the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, which is the very source of love and the very source of reality, I want to share with you how I share these messages. 
And for those that for some reason, maybe they're curious and so on, are not going to the other website to check it out if you're new, I just want to briefly explain that ultimate reality is who God is. And there's only one thing, only one quality that can be the ultimate reality. And that is a quality of love as I will define it here in a very integral scientific way. Which also defines what reality is and what truth is. But again, I don't want to go into a lot of depth here. Ultimate reality, if you look it up in the dictionaries, is that which is indestructible, immovable, unchangeable. Truth is defined as that which is reality or real. And reality is that which is immovable, indestructible, unchangeable. And this love is a quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice would have a measure of corruption in it. This love will not condone what is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption. What is contrary to love is corrupt. What is contrary to love is destructive. In fact, I can say this, that the first law of thermodynamics and science observes that everything left on its own always goes in the direction of disorder or corruption to total chaos. And of course, with that, if you're a living being, you experience suffering. But the other law, the first law of thermodynamics, shows that there's no beginning. Yeah, energy can be converted into different forms, but there's no beginning. There was always something that always was. And it certainly wasn't non-existence that created existence. And likewise, disorder could not have been in the beginning because disorder would have been actually non-existence because it's contrary to existence. So ultimate order was in the very beginning. Otherwise, in the infinite past, because of the second law of thermodynamics, everything left on its own goes in the direction of disorder, we should have been in total chaos in the distant past. But here we are where everything is so highly complex and designed like in the cells. You know, there's in our cells, if you look it up on YouTube videos, all kinds of little machines that are more complex than any AI technology today could ever come close to. Little machines that have two legs and two arms like human beings carrying around packages on tracks with addresses that they have written on them to go to certain locations and put things into other places in order to form something in your body that ultimately can also totally form your whole body and uniquely you. And there's enough data and information, they say, to have a whole pile of books go to the moon and back 50 times. In one little cell of your body, there's all these complexities, yes. 
there is a God. And if evolution hypothetically were true, then there should have been, since evolution believes that we're evolving into higher and higher order, the ultimate order, which would be nothing less than the ultimate order I'm describing, the one true God who is love, and whose love has such integrity it will not tolerate what is contrary to love. That's the first aspect of God. It is represented by the negative symbol, which represents cutting off all that is corrupt and an indestructible foundation. And from that negative symbol is formed the positive single symbol, which is also the symbol of the cross, which also happened to be the last letter of the most ancient languages in the alphabet, such as the Hebrew language and the Phoenicians and all of those going back 1500, 2000 BC and earlier. And that last letter of the alphabet, drawn just like we draw the cross today, meant a sign or symbol. And the positive symbol is this, that yes, God is so great that in the vast universe, which we know is so vast it's beyond human comprehension to grasp, need I tell you that the speed of light goes around the earth seven times in one second and it takes, what is it, five or seven years to get to the closest star? And there are stars that are many times bigger than our sun, and the sun is a thousand times bigger than the earth. And that in our galaxy alone, there's estimated to be between 200 and 400 billion stars, just in our galaxy. And there's billions of galaxies, and this is just what the telescopes can see, and they say there's so many stars in what they can see that it would be equivalent to each grain of sand having a thousand stars, or each individual as a human being having, I forget if it's 18 million or 80, no, 18 trillion or 80 trillion stars to themselves. That's the facts, okay? This vast creator could come to this little speck in the midst of this vast universe and communicate with his creation and love them so much that he could humble himself more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. Suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. So that you could choose to be reconciled to God and receive his presence indwelling in you and have his spirit dwelling in you and have eternal life. Yes, he appeared to Abraham in human form. In Genesis 18, you have the historical account of Abraham just before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Three men are standing before the Abraham's tent door. He, he can tell they're probably more majestic than normal human beings. He bows to them and tells them that he wants to make them a wonderful meal, and that's what happens there in Genesis 18. They all eat, and he addresses one of them as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God also. Some call it Jehovah. But the most accurate name is Yahweh. The most sacred name for God, meaning the ultimate reality, the I am that I am, that is separate above and beyond creation. And yes, God came. In Jesus Christ, God is that great. He's not so small that he cannot do these things. He is so great in his love that he absorbed judgment upon himself and became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you so that you could choose to receive the gift of eternal life. And that was from the beginning of the time of Adam that there was a message 
This gospel that I'm sharing is called the everlasting gospel, which is what it is referred to in Revelations chapter 14. The first angel says, the first angel came preaching the everlasting gospel, saying, fear God and give glory to him and worship him. And there are many doing that. They're raised up that represent that angel at this hour. And that gospel was way back from the first Adam. And that is that God has such great love that he is so perfect in the morality or the perfection of his being of love that not only will he not tolerate corruption, but he is so great that he could absorb corruption upon himself. He's so great that he has the power to forgive without violating the integrity of his love to judge corruption, which is rebellion against him. And so all that has happened as far as the suffering and everything is not because of God, because he created us with a capacity to love, which means we must be the source of our own action and therefore self-responsible. We are created as free will beings. And he created you so that you can choose. And so you cannot blame God for creating the devil. And so that's the good news for those that are new. I didn't mean to get into such a large introduction because I want to continue with this introduction a bit more for those specifically that have received Jesus Christ into their life. And I want to plead with those that haven't, <clears throat> that you can pray your own words and say, and just mean it from the depths of your heart. Cry from the depths of your being in sincerity and truth and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin and to forgive me of my sin through the sacrifice of your only son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. And he will. And you will find that your life really does come into an experience of union with him, of fellowship with him when you really pray that prayer. And there is a prayer at ultimatemeaning.com. If you click the contact link, there's some prayers there that you can pray with music in the background if that's the way you choose to do it. This everlasting gospel was even before Adam and Eve. It was always the message in the being of God and a reality in the being of God that his love was this ultimate and perfect. Only this love could be entrusted with ultimate, unlimited power and authority and life. Only this love could be. This could only be who God is. Is in these two aspects. First the negative, out of which is formed the positive, that God could take judgment upon himself, that he is that ultimate in the perfection of his being. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that could exist that is greater. Only this is who the one true God could be that would make him the Almighty's in the original Hebrew in the Old Testament, the word Yahweh means the ultimate reality, separate and above and beyond creation. In the 
often the next word after that, which is in English, Lord God. The word God would be Elohim in the original, meaning the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because you see, for God to be Almighty, he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which means he must be in three personages in order to rule in those three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation as the Father, in creation as the Son, and the word Son means the full expression of the Father, the full expression of the being of the Father, the one and only full expression in creation, and then omnipresence, filling all creation and all dimensions of existence. And I could go on talking and get carried away here. Because I've written a book on the afterlife. And what they've found in particle physics through mathematical analysis and so on. Showing dimensions far superior to the physical dimension. All the way up to the 10th dimension and some believe the 11th. This book is titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable by... My name, David Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. <clears throat> and believe me, when people die and they're revived back by the medical equipment and doctors know they've been dead with flat brain reading and no heartbeat, some for almost two hours like Dean Braxton, and there are others, Dale Black and many others. You can look them up on YouTube. These people describe a realm that is magnitudes more real than this physical realm. So much so that one of them said, the physical realm is like 2D compared to 3D. And 3D is that much greater than obviously just 2D writing on paper. We're in the 3D. We're in that dimension. That's far bigger than just paper, right? Okay. Big introduction this time. But I have a message to give. And I want to give it it's good news. So for those that have received God's love, his power to forgive, which is only through his atoning work on the cross through Jesus Christ. And yes, before Christ came, they also repented and asked God forgiveness and they put their hand on an innocent lamb and killed it as a symbol of their sin being placed on that lamb. And Jesus Christ was called by John the Baptist, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So, I want to share with you how I share these messages, which I want to give prophetically by the Spirit of God to the churches in these last days, especially in Canada where I live and in the United States. These messages are done through the casting of Lot before God with great reverence, using two independent applications so that I get two chapters, possibility of any two chapters from the Word of God, that then in receiving those two chapters by the casting of Lot before God, I might perceive in them the common theme and message and then I just meditate on them for about a half an hour and speak. In this case, I'm just doing one message a week by video right now. So I will go over the different, not every day of the week, but a good number of the days of the week, what I receive by the casting of Lot before God. And I speak here without preparation because the word of God commands us 
If any man speak in 1 Peter 4.11, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us, and by doing this, I facilitate it. By not having much preparation, and by allowing the casting of lots to allow God to plant the seed of possibility and work by the casting of lot to bring together chapters that work synergistically when put together by God for me to speak on. This is what should be the norm in the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, God is calling for a new order in the body of Christ. And it is time for the church to wake up in this hour of crisis. Look what is happening in Israel. Look at the manifestation of evil in high places around the world in governments and in the, all, almost all the major institutions, the educational institutions, the hospital institutions, etc. It is so obvious that the we are becoming evident and the tares, just like Christ said it would happen before the end of time. And we could be on the verge of the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. You can go ahead and read that. It talks about what will happen to Israel in the latter days. Yes, it's using the ancient terminology for weapons like spears and swords and arrows. But in the Hebrew, a lot of those words are significant, like the arrow is clearly described as a missile, the original and so on. But I'm not going to get into all of that. That's for another time, Ezekiel 37 and 38. I'm going to just share with you that today I've received. Also, I, I asked God to give me a song, so I'm going to, by the casting of lot from my website, I have on my website, at loverealize.com, all of these video messages, but also a link to all the worship songs. I have 149 of them right now. Most of them all high quality with all words that you can put on a, you can watch it on a YouTube through your projector, put it on the screen if you don't have musicians and use it to start a church. That's what I want to do out here. I have my overhead projector. I have my laptop now. I'm ready to have meetings in a new order that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assembly, which is what he's calling for in the last days. It is the zeal of God's heart to have his bride come forth to be ready for his soon return. He prayed that prayer in John 17, that we would be one, and that when we became one like this, that many would come to believe in him. And that is the hour we are in where the church must wake up. Those that have had the revelation in their heart of who the one true eternal God is and have called out and received him from the depths of their being into their life. It says, whoever shall call in the name of Yahweh or the Lord in English shall be saved. There needs to be a deep cry from your heart to cry out to God if you haven't received him to be your Lord and Savior. So I want to share with you the song I received by the casting of Lot out of those 149 songs. So we will go to that right now and have that song. I will minimize myself and then bring myself back up after. So we'll start by beginning to play the song. I'm going to bring it back to the beginning. Here we go.
song. I just sense such a beautiful presence of God in that song when I'm worshiping him. Just a beautiful presence of the Holy Spirit. Just uh, double check things here to make sure things came back up. Yes. So I want to bring out now the two the passages I received this week and today is of course October the 14th of 2023 in the evening when I'm giving this message. So we'll bring up what I did receive this week. I actually probably should start with Tuesday because I didn't make any notes, I think, on the day before that, any significance. Um, so on Tuesday... I received Revelations chapter 15 and Hebrews chapter 2 by the casting of Lot before God. Both of these chapters are about the perfection of the Son of God to overcome all corruption, which was verified 
in his power to overcome suffering and death. This also reveals that we likewise overcome through the Son of God. Now, maybe before I go into that, I should go back to Monday. It does seem to me I remember. What was brought out in Monday is this. The commonality between these two chapters on Monday is found in Matthew 10, 14, where it says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. God's love is integral and very pure. It will not tolerate those that reject his love. And here people are coming with good news to tell people about a God of love, not with some religious mentality that wants to get them to identify with a certain grouping that they they are, and follow a bunch of outward performance. No, they came with the message of God's love, that they could repent and be reconciled to God. And in Naaman chapter 3, which is the chapter I receive by a lot, we see the example of the city of Nineveh that was finally judged by God. God showed great mercy to Nineveh. Jonah is an account of that. Jonah did not want Nineveh to receive the mercy of God because he was angry because of the evil and the unrighteousness that was in that enormous city, and I suppose that nation as well. And amazingly, God showed great mercy on Nineveh, uh, on Jonah for his disobedience, and yet he still had in him the desire more to see God's vengeance upon Nineveh than to rejoice in that God had used him to turn Nineveh back to God. And when you look at the city of Nineveh, when it turned back to God, the king, you know, they see Jonah coming out of a whale. They probably saw the whale throw him up. And then he's clothed with, you know, slime all over him, and they see him come out of a whale, and they're thinking, this guy must truly have a message from God. And he's saying, repent, for in 40 days none of us will be, will be judged if, if you don't repent. I suppose he made it conditional. Maybe he didn't. He probably just said, you're going to be judged in 40 days. So what did the king do? He told everyone in the whole nation to not eat food, or liquid for three days, including all the cattle, and to cry mightily unto God and repent. Three days with no food. With Esther did the same thing when she came to seek for God to show mercy upon the nation of Israel and to deliver them from an obvious terrible destruction. And yet the Lord says, in the context of the verse in Matthew 10 here, that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and for Nineveh than for you people because 
here I come among you with the message of the good news of God's love and do signs and wonders and miracles that are impossible to do except that the person is indeed doing it from God. Now, of course, we know in the last days there will be lying signs and wonders by the Antichrist. That is different than what was happening here. These were genuine, variable signs and wonders that were being done. The blind seeing dead being raised like Lazarus and so on. And so God is emphasizing that the time has come where there are multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Are they going to repent like Nineveh repented? Are they going to reject the good news of the gospel and become goat nations ready for the judgment of God because God is allowing a time for harvest right now? And what is happening now in the nation of Israel is part of bringing forth that harvest. Why do I say that? All the corruption that is being seen in the world in high places is becoming more and more evident to a great multitude of people, not just a small group of people. A lot of people are waking up to all the corruption. And then now they're seeing all the terrible evil committed to innocent children and women in Israel with this terrible attack. And on top of it, as I said in my other message last week, I met a general who was a top general in the Romanian army. We used to go to meetings many years ago, about maybe six years ago or five years ago, maybe seven years ago. And he was sitting in the back of this meeting on Friday night that we went to. And uh, he came up to me and he said, I've written a book and I feel God's telling me to give this book to you. And he told me that God showed him that there would be 100,000 missiles pointing from the north towards Israel. And that's what he saw in this vision. And when they started firing those missiles, one of the top commanders in Israel said and commanded an atomic bomb, where I don't know what kind of atomic bomb it was, to hit Lebanon, which it did, and totally wiped that out. Because when you've got 100,000 missiles hitting Israel, well, there's not going to be anything left. It was an issue of their survival. But after that, he saw Iran, and of course, the other nations like Turkey coming again. That is what we see described in the latter days will happen in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And when that happens, it says, all the earth will know that the Lord is God. They will no longer believe in a false monotheistic conception of God, of a God that is just giving a bunch of rules and, and uh, is the devil in disguise, basically. They will no longer believe in that false idolatrous God. They will believe in who the one true God could only possibly be, which I have described in the two aspects of love. First, the integrity of God's love, which is his holiness. And out of that, the great mercy of God's love that is so great that he became that atoning sacrifice for us, which was always a reality in the being, being of God, even before the world was created, which is why this gospel even goes back before the creation of the world, which is clearly described that Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world or the creation of the world.
It was always a reality, in the, not just a capacity, a reality in the being of God because time has many planes. Those that die know that they're in a realm beyond time that has many dimensions and aspects of time that they can enter into. That's another topic. But what we're seeing here is God saying by his spirit that this is the time of awakening for the church. You cannot go back to being the church the way you are. If you're awake, church, and if you're not awake, you're, I would say you're going to be losing your candlestick and you're going to be spewed out of his mouth because you're lukewarm. If you're not awake now and you want to just be church the way you've always been and not be a wholehearted lover corporately when you come together to seek God, I've written a book titled Godheadship and Body Invasion, which you can get get on Amazon also. Like my other book, you can get it. It's a large six by nine paperback, like the other book I mentioned on the afterlife. It's also a large six by nine paperback. The other one is 368 pages. This one's about 250 something. And you can also get it on Kindle, of course, on your digital uh, device, whether that be a phone or whatever. But that book is about all you can do in your church to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. I could go into this, and I feel like almost going into it. But I forbear, because I want to share what God is saying by His Spirit this week from the various passages that I receive by the casting of Lot before God. The church needs to be ready for a great harvest, because this may be the time when Ezekiel 38 and 39 are fulfilled. And the time later, which is described in the book of Revelations 19, when the Antichrist and the world system is destroyed, happens after the great harvest that is described also in Revelations 14. You have a lot of chronology in Revelations 14. You've got the three angels, which are in chronological order. The first angel preaching the everlasting gospel. The next one saying that Babylon has fallen, the world system is destroyed. There was once a virgin and now a whore sitting on many waters. And the third angel saying, if any man worship the beast in his image, basically he will be damned for, for eternity. Yes, and then you have the first harvest described in the last half of Revelation, which is the harvest of souls. And then after the harvest of souls, the harvest of judgment of, with blood coming to the horse's bridle, symbolically speaking. And so that is what will be used to turn many people to God when they see God come on the scene and deliver Israel from Turkey that will come against Israel and those aligned with Turkey, such as China. Yes, some of those Words there in Ezekiel are, could easily refer to China. I did see what the scholar said about that. Yes, it can refer to China. And yes, it can possibly refer to what Russia. But it's more just the area of Turkey and so on. God is wanting to call his people to be awakened in this time. 
and I have other things God's shown me about Ezekiel 38. People say, well, it couldn't be for now because it says that it's a time when Israel's at peace and they have unwalled villages. But the Lord showed me. They've been living in relative peace and their villages aren't walled. That's In olden times, they did put walls around villages and cities. But all their cities aren't walled. No, the only wall is around the nation itself and that's allowing them to have this peace. So there they are. And this happened even in the South with relative peace. And they were not expecting, I suppose, in some measure this to happen. Although there's obviously been some failure in them not catching. So we're going now to Revelations 15 and Hebrews 2. Both of these chapters are about what I just read earlier at the very beginning. And so I just want to point out the key verses. Revelations 15 is about those that overcome the mark of the beast. That will say to people, you cannot buy or sell or do any business or go to stores or buy anything unless you have my mark, which means you must worship me. And so this is about those that have overcome. And it says in verse 2, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee? How important it is to have the genuine fear of God. O Lord, which would be really O Yahweh, although in the Greek it wouldn't be that, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. Only God has this integrity of love that will not tolerate corruption in the slightest in your life. And that's why there's all the serious consequences there are in this world. <clears throat> for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Yes, in the end it will be seen that God's judgments that have been throughout the world, that have been the consequences of man's choices and rebellion against God, that have called, caused all this suffering, it will be seen that God foreknew it all and it all worked together to his ultimate purpose. And so this relates to Hebrews 2, 10 to 13 where we read, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What's that saying is complete. In other words, he was verified in the perfection of his being through what he went through, although that was a reality before the world was created. It was verified in this time and space realm for us. For both he that sanctifieth or separates from imperfection and impurity and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. 
saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Yes, I will sing praise unto thee in the midst of the called out, which is what the word church means. Those that are called out of the world system into the kingdom of God that is not based on a system of, that is corrupt and as, out of a state of self-worship in our being, which is broken when we turn to God and are born anew of the Spirit of God. And so the commonality between these two chapters is that he alone is holy and that it is only through him that we have a righteousness which is not our own righteousness, which gives us the power through him to overcome all things if we abide in him and make him the central treasure of our lives and the more we do that and enter into that identity with him out of the deceptions of self that are still there after we're born again, because the seed nature in us must grow and swallow up through the unraveling of deception all of self. And the more that happens, the more we come into union and fellowship with him and into liberty and victory and a life that is abundant where the living life of the Spirit of God can flow through us with love and peace and joy, unspeakable and full of the glory of God. And so we worship God and we fear God, as is also described of the first angel in Revelations 14. Because the fear of God is reciprocating God in the two aspects of his love that I described. First, the integrity of his love, which is the holiness of God. And out of that, the mercy of his love, which cannot be known or received until we totally receive and reciprocate the severity of God's judgment that we are deserving of judgment. And that he is just and righteous in all the consequences so that we do not focus on all the negative consequences of suffering and have an unthankfulness in our heart that causes us to view God as an enigma, maybe some outer space creature. So the next thing you know, you've got polytheism and people think, oh, maybe there's all these outer space creatures and this is all from an outer space creature. Yeah, they got God in their head, but not in their heart because in their heart, they're in rebellion against God and think, they have to bring performance before him like Cain did. And from Cain came forth after the flood, the city of Nineveh, where you have the moon god and worship, which was built by Nimrod, which Josephus quotes as saying, I will take vengeance on God who, took, who caused the flood. You see the rebellion because they see the consequences of God. How could God cause a worldwide flood? It says it was because every imagination in the heart of man was evil and they were filled with violence and wickedness. And that is why God brought the flood. Don't give me this stuff about giants and everything else. Yes, that's part of it, but that's not the main part. It was the evil in man's heart. And that will bring the judgment of God. Why did the nation of Israel be commanded by God to destroy, sometimes in a very 
inhumane way, and I'm not justifying, I would never advocate that. But why were these nations wiped out? Because they were offering their children to demons in the fire. And it was a cancer that would spread, and it needed to be destroyed just like Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the people in the pre-flood world were destroyed. God will only tolerate so much. But he has a plan through all of this to have come forth for eternity that will never end, a corporate bride from every background and tribe and tongue and nation that will form a beautiful mosaic and ever be enlarged in unique pleasures of creativity for each individual in corporate fellowship with God and with each other that will go on forever where there no longer can be corruption where it is defeated because when you create beings with free will, that's only the way you have the capacity to love, which is the highest form of life and the most creative form of life and only what can counteract corruption is love. Love with integrity. Love without integrity no longer is love, it is corrupt. It is the opposite of love. Love does not embrace those that are in rebellion against love. I'm talking about the quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice and will not tolerate, will always judge in God's appointed time what is in rebellion against this love, which is who God is. And so we go on, and I could go on and preach for a long time here. I don't know how I'm going to do all of this. There's so much here. I could preach for hours. i got to watch the time. Who knows how long I've been going for. I didn't even look at the time when I started. What am I going to do? Look at the notes I have on here. I received Ezra 3 in Deuteronomy 11 on Wednesday. How in the world can I preach on all of this? In Ezra 3, there is the laying of the altar to offer sacrifice unto God despite the fear of the surrounding heathen of the land. This is when Israel goes back. They, they've been sent into captivity by God's judgment. Now God's bringing them back to the land. He's allowing a king to be raised up that wants them to rebuild their city and the walls and the sacrifices and the temple and all that. And so now they're facing the heathen around them that are angry that they're rebuilding an altar to God. And after the laying of the altar, there is the laying of the foundation of the temple. With both of these acts, there is much worship and praise and sacrifice unto God. As you read that passage in Ezra 3, that's what you will find. In Deuteronomy 11, the main emphasis is on loving Yahweh, the Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a strong emphasis on remembering what they have been saved from and how God judged those that rebelled against him in the wilderness. There's a strong emphasis also upon diligence to allow the word of God to dwell strongly in their spirit and soul. This also involved the outward practice of writing the commandments of God on the doorpost of their house and upon their bodies and even wearing it between their eyes. The outward practice was to emphasize the importance of the deeper turning of the heart in receiving the word of God out of a pure love for God and not performance 
of the mere outward practice. This parallels the laying of the altar in our heart and the foundation that Christ speaks about in the Beatitudes. This foundation is laid out of the genuine fear of God that births being poor in spirit. Knowing brokenness before God out of the deep turning of the heart and all the rest of the Beatitudes that represent laying the foundation of God's dwelling with us individually, which also would result in a great dwelling of God with us corporately. I feel like I should even just read the Beatitudes a little bit to emphasize this. To emphasize this. God is wanting us to be without fear and to lay the foundation of the temple as never before in your assembly where you are, where you don't limit any longer the fullness of the headship of Christ. But it must start first in our hearts where we repent of the things that have stopped us from laying that altar where there is no fear of loss or of intimidation. So I'm going to go to uh, what I didn't plan to go to. But I want to touch on the Beatitudes a little bit, and I don't know for sure if I can get it, but I think I will give it a shot right here. If I can just... Um, Go down there right now to Matthew. I think it would be Matthew 5. I'm going by vague memory here, but yes, Christ's Sermon on the Mount. I got it. Christ's Sermon on the Mount. I don't know how it got that wide, but it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn. If you don't mourn, if you don't know what it means to mourn and weep before God and to humble yourself before God, have you really turned? Have you really known a circumcision in, in your heart? Have you known a rending of the heart and not just an outward rending of the garments? As it says, rend your heart and not your garments. Blessed are the meek. Now that word in the Hebrews has in-depth meaning. It has the understanding of your brow being cre creased in the sense that you are looking with intent, with seriousness, at your own life and judging it with humility. It has the sense of watching over things that are in your life, that they are in that right place with God. And also it can mean other implications which are using that have the same meaning, you know, you watch over everything with diligence to make sure it bears fruit, for example. But it has the understanding of humility to look seriously at things. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And if we are filled with the loves of the world, our hunger and thirst will not be for God. It will be quenched by the loves of the world. We justify spending all kinds of time with the gods of amusement and pleasure, whatever they are. 
whether it's sports, it's a common idol in people's lives these days that call themselves Christians. They spend hours focused on watching sports and hardly any time in prayer. God is not saying you can't watch sports, but when that becomes something that stumbles you like alcohol to the alcoholic, so that you spend all your time doing those things, you are deceived. And you are losing out and you will not, you will have a hard heart. You will not have a thirst and a hunger for God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If we've known the genuine fear of God, we will know the greatness of his mercy, for we will recognize our undoneness apart from the mercy of God, that God is righteous in his holiness and not have a view like Cain, that God is some kind of dictator that demands performance. And then soon then you get the idea, oh, maybe he's just a powerful creature and there's other creatures, or in our modern language, well, he's just a super intelligence from outer space. Do you know that some of the top theologians in the Catholic Church believe that Jesus Christ is a super intelligent space creature? They actually teach that. I have some videos on loverealized.com. I don't know what section they're under, under section on deception, something like that. Amazing to see the big telescopes they have and how they believe in UFOs and everything else these theologians in the Catholic Church. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yes, we repent of all sin. We do not hide our sins and our weaknesses if we find it hard to overcome sin, but we come boldly to the throne of grace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And it goes on, and I could, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And when you live godly in Christ Jesus, it says in the word of God, you will suffer persecution, even from those that claim to be Christians, <clears throat> but love the world. God is wanting us to lay a foundation in our heart of the altar that is truly a full offering of love before him in these last days. That allows for the bringing forth of the temple because he wants us to come into a new order that doesn't limit his headship, where the normal church service is to start with prayer, not have pre-service prayer meeting, to become more conscious in the awe of God, of Christ in our midst, than any program, to then move in the Spirit into songs of worship and praise, to move out of that into the gifts of the Spirit where everyone is facilitated to freely move in those gifts without having to ask permission to use a mic or whatever else. And then after that, the pastor preaches, and after that, everyone can have a meal after every service to have community and to get to know one another. So that's just in brief. I can't preach for a long time. It's getting really long. Boy, what I got in Ahab, I got things about Ahab two days in a row. That's all I can say here. But this was about, I will just read the notes here, and then probably have to quit soon because of time. It is amazing that Ahab, the king of Israel, could actually spare the king of Syria, who attempted to destroy his family and his wives and his kingdom. He demanded to have his wives, to have his family and everything, and take them from Ahab. And Ahab wasn't even walking right with God. He was a deceived man, but I guess he believed in Yahweh. 
but he wasn't right with God. He was deceived by compromise with an idolatrous woman that he married, Jezebel. Because Abraham did not have the genuine fear of God, he showed mercy towards absolute corruption and evil, and thus condoned that corruption, bringing the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel. This account contrasts with Psalms 103, which clearly emphasizes the greatness of God's mercy towards those that genuinely fear him. The genuine fear of God fully reciprocates the severity of God's judgment upon all that is contrary to his love. To his agape love in our lives personally and also corporately. Only when we recognize that the goodness of God in severity of his judgment upon sin can we then recognize the greatness of his mercy and receive his mercy truly from our heart. Thus we are genuinely merciful, but also righteously unsparing of sin and corruption in us and all others. And that means that we will show mercy towards people like King David that have committed sin. King David was very merciful to others because he knew the greatness of God's mercy. And I could go on, but for time, I cannot preach right now. I just can only touch on these things. It's too long. It's too long. And then today, today, I got Isaiah 7 and Exodus 7. And this, on Saturday, is about Ahab again, who, again, rebelled against the Lord and God wanted to give him a sign, but he said, no, I don't want to tempt God. He was so religious, he didn't want to tempt God, though he had sin in his life. He believed somehow he was deceived to believe he was probably accepting. It was God was accepting him with all the sin in his life. And there was compromise and all the terrible things he did with Jezebel. And so the Lord says, well, Will you weary God? That word weary in the original means uh, basically will you cause God to be disgusted and or he's just tired of the way you are and he's disgusted with you? Will you continue to cause him to be disgusted? Yeah, Abraham was continuing to disgust God because he wouldn't come to the Lord and repent. So he says, yeah, there's a sign. And the sign is that there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive and bear a son and call and, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Obviously referring to the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. And I will not go on because of time to get into this. And of course, Exodus 7 is also, it, both of these chapters, Exodus 7 is about the Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Ahab hardened his heart against the word coming from the prophet. And so did the Pharaoh of Egypt. So both chapters are about the hardening of the heart of the king of a nation and how God would use this to make his signs and thus his glory known. And indeed he did with the sign of the virgin that would, be, that would bear a son whose name would be called Emmanuel.
And indeed, he did it with the nation of Israel coming out. And God allowed that hardening in order to glorify his name all the more. And so that is the message God is saying. Are you going to harden your hearts in these last days? Or are you going to be those that are in a deep love relationship with him and become part of his corporate remnant, his corporate bride that will spring forth to conquer the nations with the gospel? And I pray it springs forth here in Canada where I am. Pray for me that God will provide the finances so I can have a building where we can bring this new order to happen and a platform that can allow it to spread across the nation of Canada and also across the nation of the United States and around the world. I don't have the resources right now to even have any meeting in any building, but I'm believing God for those resources to come. So I'm asking for your prayer and your support, and I do have links on my website at Love Realized if you want to do that, but it's not a non-profit organization at this time. But you can purchase my book to support me or whatever else. God bless you and thank you for listening to this message.